Welcome back to After Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking the Tough 25 finale, Johnson versus Gaethje, and man, we're back at it again. Yeah, man, I can't wait for this fight card. I mean, you got some good fights on there. We got Teru Ushihara, C.B. Dalloway, Ed Herman, Jordan Johnson, Mark DeCasey. Um, this card couldn't get any better, and we got another one the next day, so I'm pumped. Real quick, we got to address what happened last week, max bet season, and, you know, it's part of the game. Look, you know, people are talking all this shit, saying, uh, oh, not, now, now you suck because you lost these two max bets, and it's like losing is part of the game. You know, this is a big boy game. Yeah, man. If you cannot handle losing in this business, this is not the business for you because you will lose and you will get burned bad. It's a part of the game. You win some, you lose some, but when you lose, you face it like a three-time world champion and you come back and you face adversity. Exactly. The pass is behind us and we're moving on, you know, and I'm not going to make any excuses for Cook. That was the wrong pick. You know, he's simply done. But Keish, I, I still got some faith in her in the future. I mean, the fact that she didn't tap, you know, to that choke, you know, granted she did, uh, she did, uh, an incident happened, but the fact is, man, we still were right about some of the qualities about her, that she doesn't quit, she's always coming forward, but look, it was maybe a little bit too soon, and, uh, but she'll bounce back, man. Definitely. Now, Tisha Torres, she's minus 360, the comeback on Juliana Lima is plus 300. What are you thinking, man? I'm all over Tisha in this spot. I love betting Tisha Torres because she wins by the same way. But, you know, I am, as of right now, done with props for the most part. But I love Tisha in this spot. She has a huge cardio advantage in this fight, a striking advantage. And I think she can stuff the takedowns with ease. Juliana Lima, she comes out, you know, pretty hard in those first two, three minutes. But her cardio goes down the drain by the time the middle of the first, second round. She's completely gassed, and then, you know, she'll start flopping to her back and, you know, just start getting discouraged. As where Tisha, I know for a fact, can go all three rounds, as all of her wins are by decision, and she's going to run circles around her. She's going to throw that sidekick to the body, you know, land those fast hand combinations, and, you know, get in and out and win a 30-27. I mean, Lima goes out there, and she loses a striking battle to Carla Esparza, like I said, her cardio isn't good, and, I mean, it is what it is. Tisha's going to win a 30-27, and I got her in a parlay with someone later else uh, in the card. The thing that's interesting about this fight is that usually the people that go out there and beat Juliana Lima are the people that go down there and uh, take her down to the ground, you know, besides Joanna and Jacek, obviously, right? But Tisha Torres is not really known for that. I mean, I know in that Angela Hill fight, she did show her grappling there, but we know the grappling acumen of Angela Hill, and I think that Juliana Lima is on a better level than that. So I do think it's going to be inter interesting to see how it plays out on the feet. That being said, Tisha Torres, she's a lifelong martial artist, like you mentioned, the sidekick, the circling, she's an expert at winning the close decision. This is a big opportunity for Lima, and don't be surprised is if uh, she fights closer than the line indicates, but at the end of the day, I do have to agree with you, and I do think that Tisha Torres is going to go out there and do what she's known for to do which is go out there and win a decision so i got tisha tours there yeah all day tisha now here we go you know you know what time of year it is max bet season that's right because we got teruto ishihara and man we recorded this earlier you know this is a funny story we already recorded this episode once we lost it technological <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> technical difficulties 
but we're gonna get right down to business because now it's minus 300 it was like minus two like 70 when we were talking earlier it's minus 300 i bet this at minus 215 but look we got teruto ishihara minus 300 taking on gray manor who's plus 250 and i mean does does gray have a does gray have a shot here what's going on look i completely understand why everyone's betting Teru? I mean, you want every, you want him to go out there, stuff these takedowns in the early round, and put Gray down, which Gray is known for. He's been knocked out in three of his last five fights or something like that. Um, you know, I didn't like the line even when it was minus two thirty, just because I don't trust Teru in those second and third rounds. In the second and third round, that's when the wrestling is going to come into play. That's when Gray is going to try to seal off rounds and. As we know in the past, Teru's never, he's only won one decision in his whole career, and we've seen him multiple times completely wilt in those second and third rounds. So, you know, I do like the under. The under hasn't been opened yet in Bet DSI, but in five dimes it was like plus 160 at one point. So I do like that because in those first seven minutes, Teru is a motherfucker. He comes out throwing with the, the Darren Till game plan, left kick, straight left. And uh, I think that's going to be enough to put Gray down put gray down i didn't like it now at minus 300 and i don't like it back in the past at minus 215 or minus 230 but i will be playing that under when it opens now look i could be wrong about this i've been wrong before but i think that this is a situation similar to gomi versus tuck and i'll explain why with gomi and tuck it was basically as soon as tuck takes the fight to the mat it's going to be over right then and there with this fight as soon as Teruto Ishihara lands that left hand, the fight's gonna be over right then and there. So I basically think it's gonna go down basically like that. I think that Gray Manor at this point is too slow. You know, his reflexes just aren't there anymore. His chin, obviously, let's not even talk about that. That's clearly not there anymore. And, you know, he's coming in here for a paycheck and, you know, much respect to him. I was there when he was challenging Frankie Edgar for the belt in the trilogy. Unbelievable fight, he's a legend, you know, but like you saw last week with uh, with BJ Penn, this shit gets sad, man. The fight game, there's no there's no feel good stories. You know, here and there there is, but at the end of the day, this is cold hearted reality. And I think that <laughs> Teruto Ishihara, he's gonna do what he's best at, which is circling on the outside and out of nowhere he leaps in with that straight left, and then he uh, he dips his head. Steps out to the right, so he overcomes either your left hook or your right hand, depending on which stance you're, you're standing from. And then he comes back with another step through left hand. It's kind of like when we saw Andre Ward fight Kovalev the other week, and, uh, you know, out of nowhere he goes, he leaps in with that straight right, and, you know, but this is kind of a poor man's level, obviously. But still, he's got the kind of idea, he's got that kind of concept, that idea going down, and I think that that's exactly what he's going to implement here against Gray Maynard. Now, I know the talk is, well, what if he doesn't put him out early? You know, what's going to happen if Gray Maynard, Gray Maynard goes out there and wrestles him? And honestly, I'm not too worried about that. In that third round, Teruto dropped Hirota. You know what I'm saying? In that third round, he dropped Artem. So the talk is, you know, that he gasses a lot, but he was dropping dudes in the third round as well. Yeah, he did drop him, but, you know, he had a bad lapse in fight IQ. He tried to go in Artem's guard, and, you know, when they worked back up to the feet, he got taken down with a basic schoolyard headlock, and it was just disappointing on his part. So that's why, you know, at that line, I wasn't, I didn't want to play it. But I'm definitely on him, you know, knocking Gray out early in the fight. That's why I'm playing that under. But if this fight hit, hits round two and three, the people that played him straight, I know you guys are going to be holding your breath just because it's past. And, you know, 
You know, I, I do. I am skeptical about betting against these guys that are done because, you know, I've been burned in the past, but I think Chiru will get the job done here. Yeah, no, I mean, I personally, well, also, I, I joined you on the under. Let me just add that. I put two units on the under at plus 140. I wish I hit that plus 165 last night, but it is what it is. Still better than the opener at plus 125, but, you know, I, I think the under is going to hit here, but even if it doesn't, I think that Taruto goes out there and wins the decision, man. Well, you know, you made that comparison to Tuck and Gomi earlier. You know, I, I slightly view it differently because Gomi has nothing to offer. You know, if this fight becomes a war, all he can do is stand and bang, as where, as where Gray can seal off rounds by getting a takedown if Taru's tired, and we know he'll ride out that top position. Even though I do think Gray's wrestling has diminished too, even though his chin is diminished, I think his Absolutely wrestling, his wrestling I think, I think his wrestling's diminished too. I mean, he's struggling to take guys down, where in the past, I mean, he'd be the bully and just muscle you down with ease and ride you out on top. I still think his wrestling's good enough to get Taru down if Taru gets tired, but like we said, Taru needs to come out here for this round, round and a half, and put him down. I think that Taru's got those bases covered, though, because, I mean, you saw the kind of form Guido was in last week when we counted him out. He goes out there, he's look, he looks like he's in vintage form. Taru's putting in work with guys like Guido. He lives with the champion, Cody Garbrandt. So he's training with him every single week, every single day. And all those killers are alpha male. Chad Mendez. So I think he's, uh, you know, he's making a... Uh, He's doing the right things. He's addressing everything he needs to address to go out there and defeat Gray Mander in the first round. So I got five unit max bet, minus 215, and two units on the under at plus 140. Let the chips fall where they may, right? <laughs> so next up, Aspen Ladd is minus 120, and Jessica I is plus 100. Yeah, in no way, shape, or form could I ever pick Jessica I or bet on Jessica I in a fight. But if there was ever going to be one in the UFC that she got, I guess it would be this one just because Aspen's inexperienced compared to her and she's never been under those bright lights. But in terms of Jessica I, talk about a mental midget. I mean, I think she's a cool chick, but she's a mental midget. Any type of adversity, this chick will look for the way out or break. She has a problem working her way back up to her feet. If you go back and watch her UFC career, you can count the amount of times with about two, three fingers that she's worked her way back up to her feet. And Aspen Ladd is really good on top. I mean, we've seen her maul some chicks in Invicta, like leave them bloody, leave them battered up. The thing with Aspen is, you know, she she's not that good. I mean, she moves forward. I like her aggression. She moves forward all the time. And her hands have significantly improved since she made her... Uh, debut like when she fought uh amanda cooper but like we said jessica i she goes in there against misha tate she gets cracked with the right hand completely checks out then she goes in there against juliana pena wins the first round you know and then the second round she has a mental lap she throws an illegal knee on on bottom and she she folded then she goes in there against sarah mcmahon the spot where we were thinking about bender just because at the time you know mcmahon was taking knees and looking for a way out. And Jessica I goes out there and stares at her for three rounds and does absolutely nothing. Then she goes in there against Betch, wins the first round, tries to coast, and stares at Betch for two rounds and then complains about a robbery. This chick is done, in my opinion. I wouldn't be shocked if she got this one, but the pick is def des definitely Aspen Ladd. She's improving at a good rate. And uh, it doesn't take that much to break I. Just put her through some adversity. You know, keep that keep that pressure on her. Even though her she's a striker, 
this shit gets hit with big shots every single fight, and she will wobble. We've seen her wobble several times, so I'm gonna go with Aspen here. I'm not gonna bet it unless Aspen somehow, some way, you know, became like a plus one twenty dog. But uh, the pick is Aspen. I'm with you, man. I mean, what else is there to say? I mean, look, Jessica, I, she is a mental midget. You already mentioned that. She quit after the Misha Tate fight. And it hasn't been the same since. You know, it's... I, you know, I think it was more of a case where everyone fell in love with her attitude and, like, her looks, I guess. And people bought into that hype saying, like, she was going to be the one to dethrone Rousey and she's got such good boxing. But when you watch the tape... And she's, yeah, she's hot. Every time she moves back, her head pops up, her chin pops up in the air. She's got, like, that tall man syndrome. And she gets clipped. You know, Betch landed a couple big hand rights. And Sarah McMahon landed big hand rights. This chick got rocked by Misha Tate, almost knocked out. She got rocked by Sarah Kaufman in the fight that she won. So this chick is on the decline for sure. You know, I don't know how she's still in the UFC, you know, probably because she's teammate of the champion. But it is what it is. And, um... You know, if she does win this fight, she will definitely be on auto-fade. It's one thing to have skills. It's another thing to have the fight in you. Exactly. You know what and I mean? And got, she's got the skills. The thing is, her, like, her jiu-jitsu isn't bad. Like, she's shown glimpses that her jiu-jitsu is good. It's just adversity. She just cannot come back from it. You know what it reminds me of, man? It kind of reminds me of uh, BJ Penn because, look, you know, BJ Penn showed he can go out there, he can drop Dennis Seaver, he can get to side control in a UFC-level fight, right, at this point in time, right? But as soon as he got hit in that third round, he completely stopped fighting. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens with Jessica I, you know? She can come out there, she can start swinging early, but... Right after that, you know, as soon as she gets tagged, she checks out. She stops fighting. And you can't afford to have that when you're picking someone, when you're when you're betting these fights. And that's what you're going to get with Jessica I. So with that being said, uh, I got to go with Aspen Ladd, who is improving every single fight, like you mentioned, who is, you know, big for the weight class. Now, I know she didn't look big in that fight with Amanda Cooper, but she was like 19 back then. Yeah, man. she's 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 like my age. She's like 22, 23. And... Uh, and uh, she's improving. Like we said, her last fight against Shajara Eubanks, it was her first fight where she didn't, you know, get where the fight didn't uh, contest mostly on the ground. She boxed for all three rounds. And, I mean, her activity rate was just off the charts, constantly moving forward, constantly throwing combinations. She does get hit quite a bit. But I's activity rate is just dropping, dropping every single fight. She's just going out there and staring at you, so... Yeah, I breaks easily, and Aspen Ladd, I mean, she's also been putting in work with uh, Marion Renault. so, you know, I mean, if you're if you're sparring with someone like that every day, who we, yeah. we can both And do, Megan Anderson. We can both agree both of them yeah. would break up. Yeah. <laughs> Jessica, <laughs> that, sure. that, she, she's training with higher level opposition than she's facing inside the octagon, so yeah. got to go with Aspen Ladd there. So, next up, they, they fucked up the order again on, on uh, Best Fight Odds. CB Dalloway is minus 190. The comeback on Ed Herman is plus 165. Now, were you surprised that this wasn't a pick man? Especially considering that these dudes, they're tenures, they're both vets. I mean, CB's coming off. He's lost four of his last five. Why Why is he uh, a minus two, almost a minus 200 favorite here? I mean, there's a good question here. When's the last time CB won a fight? 
against, you know, it was the Francis Carmon days. Exactly. So that's why I don't understand the line here. You know, in their primes, okay, CB is definitely the better athlete. He's faster. He's got more power. He's got the better wrestling. I mean, we're talking about a two-time All-American D1 level. Ed Herman, he's that quintessential team quest fighter, dirty in the clinch with the dirty boxing, and he's durable. But they're both past their primes. Ed Herman has suffered some big knockouts lately at, uh, against uh, Derek Brunson, Nikita Krylov. But CB, since the Lyoto Machida fight where he went down to a body kick, he goes in there against Bisping. Pre-Reebok. Pre-Reebok, drops him in the first round, and then gets walloped on for the next two rounds. I think that took a took a lot out of him. But, you know, he attributes it to the weight cut. He said he came in for a fight week at, like, 215 pounds and would have to cut 30 pounds the week of the fight, which could be the factor of why, you know, his chin was diminishing and why he looked for his way out. I mean, remember the Jared Hammond fight when he beat Jared Hammond's ass that first round and then he, you know, just goes in there and flops through his back and gets pounded out. And then he goes in there against Nate Marquardt, a spot where I actually bet him at, I remember. Because I was thinking, Nate's coming off this devastating KO loss to Kelvin. CB's a top 15 guy at the time. And I'm thinking this would be an easy win for CB to get back on track. And he charges Nate with his f- with face first, chin in the air, and he gets clocked and he gets knocked out. You know, I think CB's personally done, in my opinion, even though he's moving up to 205 pounds. He does have the Novo and Yao coaches with him now, but when you're done, you're done. I think Ed Herman is live live as can be at plus 160 against a guy like CB. I still haven't made my mind up if I'm going to bet it, but the pick is Ed Herman here. I think he's got slightly more left in the tank. He's more mentally tougher, and he's got better cardio. We've seen CB gas out several times. Again, I'm with you, man. I think that uh, Ed Herman is a live dog here. The only reason I haven't played is because I'm very tied up having a max bet plus the two units on the under in that Taruto fight plus something coming up on one of these next fights so i'm still making up my mind because you know at the end of the day even though we do feel like there is an edge here and we do feel like the the rightful favorite is the underdog you know that's still ed herman receiving all the way man you know i mean we're still it's gonna be a slobber knocker type of fight they're both gonna get walloped but like i said i think herman's more mentally tougher cb is definitely the better fighter across the board in terms of skills in terms of striking wrestling but fights aren't the contested fight, on exactly. paper. Exactly. Sometimes the fight isn't contested on paper, and Herman Herman has even in that Nikita Krylov fight, even though he got knocked out, he cracked Nikita a couple times. You know, Ed Herman's that type of guy that has to take an ass whooping to wake up, and then he then he'll come and you know win fights. That's how he generally wins. You know, he. Uh, but I think this is a good spot for him if you're looking to bet him, just because CB's done in my opinion. And also, I mean, Ed Herman, he's going out there. He's beating guys like Tim Bosch. He's getting, he's beating guys like Rafael Natal. Those guys are no slouches. I mean, from mid-tier, middleweights, I mean, those are the guys you want to beat to establish where you are in that division. And, uh, you know, CB's not doing things like that. Yeah, I mean, these are past the days. You remember that vicious left hook CB used to have? I don't see him having that anymore, but we'll see. We will see indeed. But I do have... Ed Herman, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll we'll talk about a play later on, you know, because I mean, CB did apparently get injured. You know, there were twelve fighters on that on that elevator in September in Cleveland, and none of them got injured except CB. So he 
he the opportunity presented itself for him to uh, pull out, and he took it with full grasp. <laughs> Next up, we got Angela Hill. She's minus three twenty-five, and she's taking on Ashley Yoder, who's plus two fifty-five. Now, Shaq, should Angela Hill be minus three twenty-five in the UFC? You know, maybe not that high, but I do think she wins this fight, and I think she wins it very handily. Yoder, a tough chick, but I think, you know, people looking at it on paper would say, well, she went to a close decision with Justine Keish, but we know that Justine Keish puts herself in bad positions, and she's still green. As we're on the feet, Angela Hill is very calculated, you know, good movement, like uh, Dominic Cruz-esque. You know, she goes in there with Jessica and Andrade, where other chicks would have got pounded out in the first round, and she goes all three rounds. She's got very good movement. From what she used to be to what she is now is a drastic difference. I mean, back in the day, you used to take this chick down, and that would be it. She wouldn't get back up, but now she's working her way back up to her feet against better grapplers than Yoder, in my opinion. Back in Invicta, she fought... Um, Souza, who's a black belt, and she got back up every single time and won the five-round fight. And then she goes in there and gives Jessica Andrade the fight of her UFC career but besides of, uh, at 115 besides Joanna Janjacek. I mean, all those other chicks, you saw what happened when they fight <laughs> Andrade. But I think Angela Hill's improving at a good rate, man. The thing what I don't like about Yoder is in the third round of a pivotal fight, a minute left when the fight could be won, in any, in any little grappling exchange, she pulls guard when she gets hit with an uppercut by Justine Keish. I don't know if she was hurt bad, but she pulled guard in the third round of a fight with a minute left. So that just makes me want to stay away from her right away. But, hey, we've seen Hill fold in the past on the map, but I don't think it's going to happen here. I think she's going to win at 30-27. I'm going to go the other way, man. I'm <laughs> but I'm not betting it, but it's a plus 255, right? So I... I I should, you know, put my money where my mouth is, but I, I try not to bet fights like this. I mean, we, we saw what happened last week, right? Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I think that Ashley Yoder, she's dangerous in the scrambles, which is something that Angela Hill, Hill has proven not to be. Angela Hill's good in five-round fights, like you saw in Invicta, where she's able to, you know, lose the first two rounds, but then she establishes her range, starts, uh, you know, picking up, picking up her strikes, I don't know if she's going to be able to do that here against Ashley, Ashley Yoder. I think that Yoder can close the distance, you know, pin her up against the fence, get those takedowns, get on top, steal rounds. I think her pulling guard was simply due to Justin Keisha's pressure. And like I said, man, that's not what Angela Hill brings to the table. I know that striking is real sharp, and if this is contested on the feet and if Yoder decides to test her stand-up, then Angela Hill's going to walk away with the victory. But this should be lined closer, and uh, I'm going to go with Ashley Yoder to choke out Angela Hill. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting indeed, right? <laughs> so we got Jordan Johnson. He's minus 240. He's taking on Marcel Fortuna. He's plus 200. Now look, man. I know Jordan Johnson's got one of those wrestling tattoos, so you got to watch out for this guy. <laughs> but he's taking on Marcel Fortuna, who a lot of people max bet against this guy, against Anthony Hamilton. He weighed, he weighed 210 pounds against a 265-pound man. And he knocked him out in the first round. You gonna count him out again here? Yes, I am actually. Um, I'm not counting him out. Jordan Johnson's just clearly the better fighter. Look, we can name 20 light heavyweights that will KO Anthony Hamilton. It doesn't take that much movement straight, right? I mean, come on. 
Jordan Johnson. You want to get Anthony Hamilton? I mean, Jimmy Rivera would KO uh, Anthony Hamilton. So, you know, it was a good win. Congrats to Marcel. But, you know, I don't put that much stock into it personally. Jordan Johnson, I mean, his performance against uh, Frankenstein De Silva was flawless in my opinion. I mean, he didn't take any damage in that fight. He completely controlled him in every way, beat him on the feet. And then we saw that wrestling come into play. Riding out that top control. And Marcel is the type of guy, he's one of those second-degree black belts that will flop to his back looking for Hail Mary submissions when he gets tired. If you go back and watch his local fights back in California, this guy gasses out. And we watched in the, uh, to get into the tough house, he fought Corey Hendricks, completely gassed out after the first round. First round, he had, he had some good things going on, but when he didn't finish him, he completely gassed out, flopping to his back, looking for those submissions shooting sloppy takedowns and if he wants to shoot a takedown on jordan johnson i mean that shit's getting easily reversed and he's going to his back looking for that hail mary submission so i think the same thing's going to happen here when the line came out you know uh one book had it at like minus 134 johnson i was going to be all over that because i really think jordan johnson has the potential to be really good in this division i kind of compare him to like a a young ryan bader you know at at the at the moment, he's developing still, but I'm all over Johnson in this. I think just like Ryan Bader. Yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> I think Jordan Johnson's gonna take care of business here, thirty twenty seven or a late finish. I'm with you, man. I mean, just for the shock value, it'd be pretty cool if uh, Mar- uh, Marcel Fortuna went out there and knocked this dude out again as a big underdog. But realistically speaking. You got to think that Jordan Johnson is going to go out there, grind this dude out for three rounds, or, or potentially get a stoppage. So I'm with you. I got the favorite here. Now, next up, I, it is that season, but I am holding back just a little bit because we got Elias Theodoro. He's currently minus 125. The comeback on Brad Tavares is plus 105. And uh, you think that uh, Elias is going to get another uh, shampoo sponsorship after this fight? No, nah, he's probably going to lose it after this fight, to be honest. But here's the thing. When this fight got announced, I told you like a month in advance, I'm going to be all over Brad in this spot because Brad is clearly the better fighter, in my opinion. You know, Elias is known for basically throwing a, a lot of volume on his kicks and, you know, pushing guys into the fence and getting them down, I guess. But that's not going to happen here. Brad is known for stuffing against the fence. Look, in that Kyo fight, that's a him coming off a two-year layoff. And he reversed Kyo in the clinch every single time. When Kyo did briefly take him down, what happened? Brad pushed his head down, reversed him, and work, and, work, and uh, got back to his feet. Brad's a lot better striking. He's way faster. Better hands. Elias has no threat with the hands. Brad has nothing to worry about coming inside. When Brad loses, it's it's, it's against guys like Robert Whitaker, Tim Bosch, guys that are going to knock uh, him out. Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero. <laughs> guys that he has to worry about, you know, coming in. He ain't going to have that in this spot. And, you know, Elias, he throws a lot of volume with his kicks, but he will slow down. That volume will slow down in rounds three, two, and three. He'll stand there just straight, and, you know, he's going to get leg kicked in this spot. I will give Elias credit. He knows how to push through when he's tired. He's very mentally tough. In that Maheda fight, he took a severe ass whooping, and he still stayed in there for all three rounds. But Brad ain't going to try to test his wrestling against Elias, even though I think he can beat him in that area. He's going to put it on him on the feet. And, you know, when Elias throws that slow kick in the second round, Brad's going to counter him with ease, and he's going to make him look bad. I think this is going to be an eye-opening performance, and I think Elias is going to get exposed here. 
Yeah, you know, I got I got a lot of respect for Elias. You know, he's been able to go out there and win these fights. You know, he had that vagina f cut over his forehead against Santos, and he uh, he made it to the final bell. But I, I think he's very lucky to be in the position he's, <laughs> he's in, Shaq. I think that when you're fighting Bruno Santos and Roger Narvaez and Sheldon Westcott, it, you know, it's easy to go out there, you know, easy, you know, on the UFC level, you know, because those dudes will whoop my ass. Maybe, maybe, right? No, no. <laughs> These guys will whoop my ass, right? So, you know, props to him. But as far as I'm concerned, he's 2-1. and one. Look, he beat Sam Alvey, but when you're fighting Sam Alvey, Sam just waits to counter the entire time. Sam's not going to come at you. So all you got to do is run, throw kicks, keep running away, you know, point, point, run away. And that's that's exactly what uh, Elias did. I mean, it was pretty simple. He didn't have to fight in that fight. And against Cesar Mudanchi, who a year ago was like the laughing stock of the middleweight division. People were laughing at him because he used to, you know, blow a kiss at his chin and he'd go flying into the second row. So... I, I just think this is one of those situations where Elias is overhyped to a point where he, he got exposed once and people seem to have not learned their lesson. I mean, that fucking Alvy fight was awful. And, you know, no disrespect to Alvy. I got a lot of respect for that guy. I mean, you know what kind of you know what kind of right hand that guy has. Yeah. But there's a way to fight Alvy. There's a blueprint to beat him. And the blueprint to beat him is to not actually fight him. It's to, you know, hit him and run. That's what Elias did. You're not about to hit and run against a guy like Brad Tavares. We're talking about a guy that goes in there with Lorenz Larkin. Can can we all agree, everyone listening to this right now, and you yourself included, Shaq, that Lorenz Larkin is ten times the striker. No, no, sorry, scratch that. A hundred times the striker that Elias is. Now, I know someone's going to be like, yeah, but he's a welterweight. Oh, yeah, well, we're talking about a guy that beat Jean Volante at heavyweight. So you want to give me this welterweight bullshit? Yeah, he's optimal at welterweight, but this dude was beating guys at heavyweight, light heavyweight. He beat Robbie Lawler at middleweight, so I don't want to hear any bullshit whatsoever. Lorenz Larkin smokes Elias Theodore. Elias, this is just finally that time. We've been waiting for him to get exposed. He's going to get exposed. He, I hope he can keep his uh, shampoo sponsorship, man, you know, because, look, we're here betting on fights. We're, we're fans of the sport, but we don't wish anyone anyone harm. You know, you see all these people once the fight's over and they're rubbing, rubbing it in the fighters' faces, you know, rubbing losses in. It's like, the fuck is wrong with you? Look, <laughs> this is a competition. Once the competition is, is over, you shake hands and you move on. But the competition is not over at this point. And I think that Brad Tavares is badly going to expose Elias Theodoro. I think he's going to kick him with some very hard leg kicks, which is going to stop that forward pressure of Elias Theodoro. I think that Brad's almost going to laugh off, you know, the little pitter-patter strikes. You know, people like to talk about how Bisming has pillow fists. Uh, let's talk about pillow fists for a second, Shaq. Bisming knocked out Luke Rockhold in the first round. A couple years ago, I was talking about how, how Bisming has, you know, 17 to 18. You know, the number might be different. One of you hardcore, one of you nerds could let me know what the actual <laughs> number is on, on the Bisming KO count for his career. It was like 11 or 12. But, no, bro, I'm thinking 17, like, straight up. Like, I think it's like that. You know what I'm saying? But uh, Bisming knocks out, what's his name, you know, Rockle in the very first round. You know you know who's not knocking people out in the, in the very first round? Yeah, nice. Yeah, not Elias. So I was saying that, you know, if, if Bisbing is known for his pillow fists, what's the step down from pillow fists? 
I mean, when you're throwing the Brian Ebersole hammer fist from a standing position to get inside, that just shows you how your striking is limited. All he has is kicks. Like we said, Brad has nothing to worry about coming inside. And his kicks aren't even that serious. Brad has the harder kicks here. So Brad's going to run away with this one. And Brad, at one point in time, was arguably a top 15. He was a top 15 guy. Another thing, you know, let's talk about the battle of wills. You know, fuck the athleticism because obviously Brad's more athletic <laughs> and he's stronger and bigger. But let's, let, let's, not, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the battle of wills. We, we know about Hawaiian spirit, but let's talk about Hawaiian spirit inside the UFC's octagon. Who gets slammed more than three times against UL Romero and then gets back up, throws a knee in a straight right? Brad Tavares, you know what would happen if Elias fought Yoel Romero? I mean, do you remember what, what happened when Chris Weidman fought Yoel Romero? Yeah. You remember what happened when Leota Machida fought Yoel Romero? Brad Tavares took that ass whooping like a man. That's what Hawaiians do. But we don't have to worry about an ass whooping here with Elias. He's got, you know, what's what's below Pillow Fist? Someone tell me. On Twitter, at Best Fight Picks, what's the step below Pillow Fist? Because like I said, y'all are saying Bisbing, who knocks out Rockhold in the first round, that he has Pillow Fist. Okay, whatever. That's If that's what you guys want to call it. But I want to know, what's the step below Pillow Fist? Because that's, that's exactly what Elias has. And, you know, I think that Brad's going to turn him around against the fence. The leg kicks, like we mentioned. Brad's an expert at winning the decisions. He's been in there with everyone. Oh, you, he got caught by Tim Bosch after whooping his ass. I mean, Elias could easily get caught by Tim Bosch too. He got caught by Robert Whitaker. <laughs> you know who would uh, <laughs> fucking get decapitated by Robert Whitaker? I mean, come on. At this point, I'm talking like, why did I only put 2.3 units on it? Like I said, I made a critical error where I thought, well, if it's plus 150, maybe with that height, maybe we can get plus 2, which is obviously insane because we think it should be minus 150, right? But, you know, you live and you learn. At least I'm going to get something out of it if he wins the fight. You know what I'm saying? But, but you know, maybe uh, we'll make talks after the weigh-ins. You know, maybe Elias says a couple cute lines, posts, you know, some fucking stupid picture on, on, his, on his Instagram, and the line goes his way, and... Because, you know, Brad Tavares, you know, he's been keeping a low profile. And you hear these people talking online how Kyle Michael, yes, arguably won that fight. And it's like Brad won every second of that Kyle Michael, yes, fight. So I, I just think at this point it's Brad that's being overlooked. And, uh, yeah, I got 2.3 units on him and uh, potentially going to put more. Yeah, I'm all the way with you on Brad. Brad's going to be the MVP of the night. Mark DeCasey. He's minus 265, minus 280 in some books. He's taking on Drakkar Close, who's plus 225. Drakkar's a tough guy. Drakkar's got that MMA lab style. But can he uh, go out there and defeat the very tough, the very dynamic, the very, shall I say, new school style of Mark DeCasey? It's going to be tough, man. DeCasey is hell on wheels for that first round. And in the, like uh, we were talking about earlier, in his fight against Frankie Perez, he showed that he had the IQ to pull off a win in a close fight. You know, Frankie beat his ass that second round, and he came back and he stole that round from him in the third. You know, Jakar Close, he's got that typical MMA lab, you know, style. He will take a beating to dish one out, and he's got good cardio. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can somehow, you know, get DeCasey up in that clinch, hold on to him, get his energy level down, and, you know, take over this fight in the second and third round, a la, you know, Brian Barberena, his teammate, you know, that type of style. 
But, you know, I do think the Casey's going to get past this one. But I am looking to fade the Casey in the future just because I think him gassing out is going to happen very soon. I mean, when you throw techniques like that, your energy levels just decrease. So I, I think eventually he will gas out bad one of these days. The Casey, I do think uh, the Casey's going to win this. But it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a tooth and nail fight. Jakar is going to get dropped a couple of times. But he's going he's gonna to wobble the Casey as well. But uh, the Casey seems like he's got that spirit, and we're going to find out about it. But I think he'll win this 29-28. What I love about a guy like Mark Casey, you know, people are going to think, oh, it's that kick he landed against Timu Pakalan, and it's the fact that he knocked him out cold in spectacular fashion. What I love about Mark Casey is that it's one-to-one against Frankie Perez going into that third round, and he knew what he had to do to get the victory. And he didn't go out there with flash. He went out there with fundamentals, took him down, stole the round. That's what I like to see when I'm picking a fighter. Like we said, Drakkar close, got that lab style. If Mark DeCasey starts the gas, <laughs> Drakkar could take over. But at the end of the day, I do think Mark DeCasey is going to come away with a win here. I think the people taking a shot on Drakkar close, they're going to get a very spirited effort. You know, he's going to come to fight. Don't get me wrong. Drakkar's no slouch at all, man. You know, he made it to the state champions and uh, state championships in, res in wrestling. Drakkar is no slouch, but I do think DeCasey at this point in time has what it takes to get a decision here. So I'm going to go with him. James Krause is taking on Tom Galicchio. And it's interesting, man. I mean, Tom Galicchio, he overperformed, man. I mean, who would have guessed that he would have been in the semifinals of this season of tough, and here he is in the UFC fighting James Krause. Yeah, I mean, Tom overperformed, like you said. He overachieved, but, you know, I think his road is going to end again here. I, I see I see this being easy money for Krause. Look, Krause just fought a big, strong wrestler that's way bigger than him, but I don't think Tom has that same entry or that same wrestling grind. If he gets on his back, then hey, it's anyone's fight, but I see Krause walking away with this very easily. Yeah, and I mean, we just saw James Krause going in there and taking down a D1 wrestler and Jesse Taylor. You know what I mean? With uh, with Galicchio, you know, it's a feel-good story, but you know the deal with MMA. Unless he gets your back, he's not going to win. And you saw in that Diego Lima fight, he was a, a fish out of water on the feet, so... I think uh, James Krause is going to look pretty out there and, you know, front kick to the face, pop, pop, and either finish him because, I mean, he has been looking more aggressive as of lately or easy 30-27. So I got James Krause for the victory. And then we got Diego Lima versus Jesse Taylor in the finals of the Ultimate Fighter 25. And, I mean, talk about a redemption story. Diego Lima, who made it to the finals the first time, but he just wasn't ready at the time. And with Jesse Taylor, we all know what happened there, man. So, you know, it kind of feels good to have both of them in the finals here. Yeah, like you said, both have good redemption stories. And it's an interesting fight because we know JT Money, he's a one-dimensional fighter. But his one dimension is so strong. I mean, this guy gets on top and the fight's pretty much over. He will grind you out for all three rounds. But if there was anyone on the cast that I think could stop it, it'd be Diego. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's got all the potential in the world, but it's always been his confidence in himself that's held him back. And, you know, if he can stuff this takedown, I could see him running away with this fight. Yeah, you know, with Diego, there's two ways to look at it. Either you can say his chin is the issue, you know, because he has been stopped a couple times, but... 
you know, at the same time, man, it could be a confidence issue because nowadays he is looking confident out there and he is taking big shots and reacting fine. He looks like a, you know, like a younger version of his brother out there, you know, big <laughs> leg kicks, he uses his distance real well. And uh, he mixes up the takedowns. He gets back up to his feet. He uses that butterfly sweep very effectively. So, yeah, I, you know, I'm going to go with Diego here, but he's got to be aware of the wrestling here. That's what it's going to come down to. There's no two ways about it. On the feet, I do have Diego Lima winning this fight. It's going to be interesting where they line it. I personally think they're going to have Diego Lima around the plus 125 area. What are you thinking? Yeah, something like that. Maybe even a little less, plus 110, plus 115, just because Diego's had all the time in the world to prepare the stuff for a takedown. So, And we know that JT's one-dimensional. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be like plus 110, plus 115, something like that. Man, how nice would it be to see Diego Lima bring home that trophy to ATL. But that's not even what it's about here on Half the Battle. I just think that, you know, Diego right now, you saw that last fight. He looked like a young Douglas <laughs> out there, man. I mean, those leg kicks were big. And, and you know, I have a theory about, about his chin. You know, people wrote off his chin. You know, it's two two things. Number one, you could say it's all the knockout losses, plus he used to play football, plus Douglas whooping his ass in the gym. Or number two, I think it could be a confidence issue, man, because you saw him get cracked with some hard shots, and he took him fine and kept coming forward. And I feel like he's coming into his own. He finally feels like he belongs here. Clearly, he wasn't ready early in his career. You know, it's just because of his name, he got rushed into the spotlight. But now he's had the time to develop, and he's got a really good style. He's big for that weight class. And, and just like that, o OSP versus Shogun 2 got announced. Fuck, man. I hope uh, Shogun... I hope Shogun... I, I mean, OSP is my boy. Don't get me wrong. But, like, you know, you got to root for Shogun, yeah, man. Yeah, Shogun's the man, bro. Shogun was my favorite fighter when I first started watching the sport. Put yeah, it that way. I mean, Shogun, Shogun. You know what I'm saying? And... And plus, if he goes out there and wins, maybe they can have a trilogy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to go with my boy Diego. And uh, obviously, I'm not betting it. You know, the line's not out. I personally think it's going to be plus 125 Diego. I could be wrong. The main event of the evening, Michael Johnson, he's minus 165. The comeback on Justin Gaethje is plus 145. Now, are you at all surprised that it's not a pick -em? No, you know, I... I I do think Michael Johnson is the better fighter, the more tested fighter. You know, I respect Gaethje. He's violent, as violent as they come. I mean, when we're talking about breaking a guy's leg with one leg kick against Brian Foster, I mean, not so many dudes are capable of shit like that. But the facts are the facts. He's a, Like Michael Johnson said, he's a sloppy fighter. He gets hit a ton. If there was a stat like how the UFC has that stat of how many times you get hit per minute, Gaethje's would be like six or seven you know he gets hit a ton and I think if Michael Johnson comes out in this fight for the first two rounds and you know I don't see Gaethje taking him down we're talking about Blackout Johnson I'm talking the guy with the fastest hips in the division a guy a guy that shrugs off takedowns except when he's fighting you know Khabib Nurmagomedov which no shame in that but against these other guys these guys aren't taking him down and Michael's I think Michael's gonna knock him out within the first two rounds. I respect Gaethje. I do think Gaethje will have a good career, just not in this fight, not in his opening fight. It's just a considerable gap of the talent that he's been fighting. But hey, a Gaethje, Gaethje with a championship mindset, you know, he, he's been he's been waiting for this, but I just think it's too much too soon. I feel like they should have gave him something a little more 
a little more, you know, uh, winnable for his debut, maybe. You know what would have been a good fight? Justin Gaethje versus James Vick for his debut, you know? That would have been a really good fight. Or Justin Gaethje versus Rustam Kabila. James Vick would have whooped his ass. But, you know, something a little... Michael's going to whoop his ass, too. But, you know, I think... uh, But, like I said, I can't trust Michael, you know? Michael, he, he drops the ball... I mean, he dropped the ball. You remember when he fought Miles Jury back in the day, and he was like top ten, and everyone's like, "Why is Miles Jury getting this fight coming off the tough show? Like, this makes no sense." And Miles Jury goes out there and dominates him in every way, shape, or form. Reza, uh, Reza Madada, he goes in there, win, wins the first round, then gets dropped with a head kick and choked out. I mean, like a lot of the lightweights say, he's lost half his fights. He's got eleven losses, but at the same time, he's arguably got the best resume at lightweight. Wins over Tony Ferguson. Tony's only UFC loss wins over Dustin Poirier, wins over Edson Barboza, where a fight where he won every single round and looked amazing. So we know what Michael's capable of. It's just a matter of which Michael shows up. How is he mentally? But I do think the openings are going to be there against Gaethje, but I think uh, Michael's going to put him out. This fight comes down to either how it goes early or how it goes late. Early, I think that Michael can go out there and knock out Justin Gaethje, especially if he comes out like he did against Dustin Poirier. No one, no lightweight on planet Earth is beating the Michael Johnson that came out there against Dustin Poirier. I mean, they call him Blackout for a reason. That was unbelievable. Dustin Poirier goes in there with a double, with an uppercut, and then all of a sudden, bang, bang, bang. You know what I'm saying? He was, he was out, man. So if if Blackout, if uh, Michael Johnson comes out like that, he's gonna knock out Justin Gaethje. But if Justin Gaethje can weather that storm, you know, chop him down with leg kicks, it's gonna be hard because Michael Johnson's a southpaw and he knows how to check kicks too. You know, he's in there training with with Van Roosmalen. You know what I'm saying? So it's gonna be really tough for Gaethje. He is a D1 wrestler. I know he barely uses it, but if it's time to use it, he can fall back on it. So if Justin can get out of the first two rounds. I do think that Michael Johnson's going to start to slow down just like he did in the third round against Benil Dariush, just like he did in the third round against Nate Diaz, and let's not even talk about the third round against Khabib or Reza or anything like that, or Miles Jury, okay? Or, you know, he lost to James Krause too back in the day. But anyways, you know, like Kevin Lee said, you know, he's got 30 fights and he's lost half of them. (laughs) So, you know, it's one of those things. But if he comes out like he did against... Dustin Poirier, he's going to knock him out in the first round. Justin Gaethje leaves a lot of openings. But if you've never seen Justin Gaethje, I mean, this guy comes to bang. I mean, he'll throw somersault head kicks. He'll throw everything but the kitchen sink. He's going to go out there and bang hard. And, uh, you know, he's going to leave the openings for, for Johnson to catch him. It's just, is Johnson going to take advantage of those openings? So you're you're rolling the dice. Either he does or he doesn't. I mean... Shit, since you since everyone's saying he does, I'll say he doesn't. Fuck it. I'm gonna go with Justin Gaethje to weather the storm and uh break him in the later rounds with leg kicks and maybe even take him down and ground and pound. We'll see what happens. But you know, if Johnson goes out there and stops him in the first or second, that's not gonna surprise me because that's the exact way that Johnson's gonna win the fight. Another thing I wanted to say is, you know, it didn't happen in the Poye fight, you know, he showed up, but Michael Johnson I noticed that he's constantly like reaching on his shots, like coming up on the end against Benny, against Benil. Even in the in the Khabib fight, you know, a lot of people say yeah, Khabib hurt, and he he land he landed you know one or two solid you know uh, left hooks, but after that he, 
I rewatched it and it really wasn't that bad. Like Khabib was perfectly fine. Like he was still there. He got clipped once, but it wasn't that serious. And he, he kept coming up short in that little barrage that he had in the first round. But that's one, just one thing I noticed about him. He's always coming up on the end. You know, I think Poye was just a perfect matchup for him. But uh, that's just one thing I wanted to point out. We got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So Shaq, what is the fight to watch for the Tough 25 finale? You know, the fight to watch is Brad Tavares versus Elias Theodoro. Like I said, Brad's going to teach him a lesson in the game of MMA. And uh, Brad's going to make him look bad in this spot. We got, we're got better across the board. He can't take us down. We're better on the feet. And we got better cardio. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Elias can push through, but we can keep the pace up for three rounds without slowing down. All our wins are by decision. You know, Elias is a tough guy, but he's going to get cracked in this spot, and he's going to get exposed. I'm with you there. Now, my fight to watch is Mark DeCasey versus Drakkar Close. I mean, look, the hype on Mark DeCasey is serious, and for good reason. I mean, you saw his last fight. Not a lot of athletes in the UFC do what Mark DeCasey does, but when you got a guy like Drakkar Close, he's got that MMA lab style. He's known for weathering storms. He's known for his durability, going all three rounds hard. That is your fight to watch at the Tough 25 finale. Now, Shaq. Who is the fighter to watch? You know, just because I got a bet on her, I'm going to go with Tisha Torres, man. I know to the most people it probably wouldn't be the uh, fighter to watch, but, you know, I got a bet on her. I think she's going to win at 30-27. Lima's a tough chick, but, you know, I'm interested to see. I love watching Tisha point fight, man. I love seeing the sidekicks to the body, and I love her seeing, I love seeing her win every single second of the fight. So that's my fighter to watch. My fighter to watch is Teruto Ishihara. Look, you got a chance to go out there and get a big name on your resume in devastating fashion. If you can go out there and do one of his leaping left, left hands, put down Gray Maynard, stop him, get that name on his resume. I mean, it's only going to be big fights from here on out because even though Gray Maynard is where he is, when you beat Gray Maynard, it's a big deal. Just like when Yair beat BJ Penn, his very next fight is Frankie Edgar. You know what I'm saying? So this is a big fight for Teruto Ishihara. So for that reason, he is your fighter to watch. Now Shaq, we did it, man. The Tough 25 finale. My three bets, just to recap, I got a max bet on Teruto Ishihara at minus 215. I took the under one and a half at plus 140 for two units. And... I took Brad Tavares at plus 150 for 2.3 units, and who knows? I might even add a little bit more on that down the line. Yeah, you know, I got Tisha Torres at minus 315. I got her parlayed with someone on the July 8th card, and, you know, I'm probably going to play that Taruto under. Hopefully DSI opens the lineup at some point. And, you know, I'm still considering Ed Herman. And, uh, you know, I, d I definitely got Brad Tavares only for one unit right now. Hopefully that hits plus money again because I'm looking to put some more on it just because I'm very confident. But that's it for that card. So make sure you follow Shaq at MMAGenius05. Make sure you follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Shaq and I will be back to break down UFC 213, Shevchenko versus Nunez, Whitaker versus Romero. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.